Tuesday, April 25th, 1944. Dearest Kitty, for the last ten days, Dusso hasn't been on speaking terms with Mr. Van Dam, and all because of the new security measures since the break-in. One of these was that he's no longer allowed to go downstairs in the evenings. Peter and Mr. Van Dam make the last round every night at 9:30, and after that, no one may go downstairs. We can't flush the toilet any more after eight at night or after eight in the morning. The windows may be open only in the morning when the lights go on in Mr. Kugler's office, and they can no longer be propped open with a stick at night. This last measure is the reason for Dussault's sulking. He claims that Mr. Van Dam bowled him out, but he was only himself to blame. He says he'd rather live without food than without air. And that they simply must figure out a way to keep the windows open. I'll have to speak to Mr. Kugler about this," he said to me. I replied that we never discuss matters of this sort with Mr. Kugler, only within the group. Everything's always happening behind my back. I'll have to talk to your father about that. He's also not allowed to sit in Mr. Kugler's office any more on Saturday afternoons or Sundays, because the manager of Cax might hear him if he happens to be next door. Do so promptly went and sat there anyway. Mister Van Dam was furious, and Father went downstairs to talk to Do so, who came up with some flimsy excuse. But even Father didn't fall for it this time. Now Father's keeping his dealings with Do so to a minimum because Do so insulted him. Not one of us knows what he said, but it must have been pretty awful. And to think that that miserable man has his birthday next week. How can you celebrate your birthday when you've got the sulks? How can you accept gifts from people you won't even talk to? Mister Foskershaw is going downhill rapidly. For more than ten days, he'd had a temperature of almost a hundred and four. The doctor said his condition is hopeless. They think the cancer has spread to his lungs. The poor man. We'd so like to help him, but only God can help him now. I've written an amusing story called Blurry the Explorer. Which was a big hit with my three listeners. I still have the bad cold and have passed it on to Margaret, as well as mother and father. If only Peter doesn't get it. He insisted on a kiss and called me his El Dorado. You can't call a person that, silly boy. But he's sweet anyway. Yours and Frank. Thursday, April twenty seventh, nineteen forty four. Dearest Kitty, Mrs. Van D was in a bad mood this morning. All she did was complain. First about her cold, not being able to get cough drops, and the agony of having to blow her nose all the time. Next, she grumbled that the sun wasn't shining, the invasion hadn't started, and we weren't allowed to look out the windows, etc., etc. We couldn't help but laugh at her, but it couldn't have been that bad since she soon joined in. A recipe for potato kugel, modified due to lack of onions. Put peeled potatoes through a food mill and add a little dry government issue flour and salt. Grease a mold or oven-proof dish with paraffin or stearic and bake for two and a half hours. Serve with rotten strawberry compote. At the moment, I'm reading Emperor Charles V, written by a professor at the University of Göttingen. He spent forty years working on this book. It took me five days to read fifty pages. I can't do any more than that. Since the book has 598 pages, you can figure out just how long it's going to take me, and that's not even counting the second volume. But very interesting, the things a schoolgirl has to do in the course of a single day. 
Take me, for example. First, I translated a passage on Nelson's last battle from Dutch into English. Then I read more about the Northern War involving Peter the Great, Charles the Twelfth, Augustus the Strong, Stanislaus Lasinski, Bezepa, von Gotz, Brandenburg, Western Pomerania, Eastern Pomerania, and Denmark, plus the usual dates. Next, I wound up in Brazil, where I read about Bahia Tobacco, the abundance of coffee, the one and a half million inhabitants of Rio de Janeiro. Pernambuco and Sao Paulo, and last but not least, the Amazon River. Then about Negroes, mulattoes, mestizos, whites, the illiteracy rate over fifty percent, and malaria. Since I had some time left, I glanced through a genealogical chart: John the Old, William Louis, Ernest Casimir I, Henry Casimir I, right up to little Margaret Francesca. Twelve o'clock. I resumed my studies in the attic. Reading about deans, priests, ministers, popes, and phew, it was one o'clock. At two, the poor child was back at work. Old world and new world monkeys were next. Kitty, tell me quickly, how many toes does a hippopotamus have? Then came the Bible, Noah's Ark, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. After that, Charles V. Then the Peter Thackeray's book about the Colonel in English, French test, and then a comparison between the Mississippi and the Missouri. Enough for today. Adieu, yours and Frank. Friday, April twenty eighth, nineteen forty four. Dearest Kitty, I've never forgotten my dream of Peter Schiff. Even now, I can still feel this cheek against mine, and that wonderful glow that made up for all the rest. Once in a while, I'd have the same feeling with this Peter, but never so intensely. Until last night, we were sitting on the divan as usual in each other's arms. Suddenly, the everyday Anne slipped away, and the second Anne took her place. The second Anne, who's never overconfident or amusing, but wants only to love and be gentle. I sat pressed against him and felt a wave of emotion come over me. Tears rushed to my eyes. Those from the left fell on his overalls, while those from the right trickled down my nose and into the air and landed beside the first. Did he notice? He made no movement to show that he had. Did he feel the same way I did? He hardly said a word. Did he realize he had two ends on his side? My questions went unanswered. At eight thirty, I stood up and went to the window, where we always say goodbye. I was still trembling. I was still end number two. He came over to me, and I threw my arms around his neck and kissed him on his left cheek. I was about to kiss the other cheek when my mouth met his, and we pressed our lips together. In a daze, we embraced over and over again, never to stop. Oh, Peter needs tenderness. For the first time in his life, he's discovered the girl. For the first time, he's seen that even the biggest pests also have an inner self and a heart, and are transformed as soon as they're alone with you. For the first time in his life, he's given himself and his friendship to another person. He's never had a friend before, boy or girl. Now we've found each other. I, for that matter, didn't know him either. Had never had someone I could confide in, and it's led to this. The same question keeps nagging me: Is it right? Is it right for me to yield so soon? For me to be so passionate? To be filled with as much passion and desire as Peter? Can I, a girl, allow myself to go that far? There's only one possible answer. I'm longing so much, and have for such a long time. I'm so lonely, and now I've found comfort. 
In the mornings we act normally, in the afternoons too, except now and then. But in the evenings, the suppressed longing of the entire day, the happiness and the bliss of all the times before, come rushing to the surface, and all we can think about is each other. Every night after our last kiss, I feel like running away and never looking at him in the eyes again, away, far away into the darkness and alone. And what awaits me at the bottom of those fourteen stairs? Bright lights, questions, and laughter. I have to act normally and hope they don't notice anything. My heart is still too tender to be able to recover so quickly from a shock like the one I had last night. The gentle Anne makes infrequent appearances, and she's not about to let herself be shoved out the door so soon after she's arrived. Peter's reached a part of me that no one has ever reached before, except in my dream. He's taken hold of me and turned the inside out. Doesn't everyone need a little quiet time to put themselves to rights again? Oh, Peter, what have you done to me? What do you want from me? Where will this lead? Oh, now I understand. Now, now that I'm going through it myself, I understand her doubts. If I were older and he wanted to marry me, what would my answer be? And be honest, you wouldn't be able to marry him. But it's so hard to let go. Peter still has too little character, too little willpower, too little courage and strength. He's still a child, emotionally no older than I am. All he wants is happiness and peace of mind. Am I really only fourteen? Am I really just a silly schoolgirl? Am I really so inexperienced in everything? I have more experience than most. I've experienced something almost no one my age ever has. I'm afraid of myself. Afraid my longing is making me yield too soon. How can it ever go right with other boys later on? Oh, it's so hard—the eternal struggle between heart and mind. There's a time and a place for both, but how can I be sure that I've chosen the right time? Yours and Frank, Tuesday, May second, nineteen forty-four. Dearest Kitty, Saturday night I asked Peter whether he thinks I should tell Father about us. After we discussed it, he said he thought I should. I was glad. It shows he's sensible and sensitive. As soon as I came downstairs, I went with Father to get some water. While we were on the stairs, I said, Father. I'm sure you've gathered that when Peter and I are together, we don't exactly sit at opposite ends of the room. Do you think that's wrong? Father paused before answering. No, I don't think it's wrong. But Anne, when you are living so close together as we do, you have to be careful. He said some other words to that effect, and then they went upstairs. Sunday morning, he called me to him and said, "Anne, I've been thinking about what you said. Here in the annex is not such a good idea." I thought you were just friends. Is Peter in love with you? Of course not. I answered. Well, you know I understand both of you, but you must be the one to show restraint. Don't go upstairs so often. Don't encourage him more than you can help. In matters like these, it's always the man who takes the active role, and it's up to the woman to set the limits. Outside, where you are free, things are quite different. You see other boys and girls. You can go outdoors, take part in sports and all kinds of activities. But here, if you're together too much and want to get away, you can't. You see each other every hour of the day, all the time. In fact, be careful, Anne, and don't take it too seriously. I don't, Father. But Peter's a decent boy, a nice boy. Yes, but he doesn't have much strength of character. He can easily be influenced to do good, but also to do bad. I hope for his sake that he stays good, because he's basically a good person. We talked some more and agreed that father would speak to him too. 
Sunday afternoon, when we were in the front attic, Peter asked, "Have you talked to your father yet?" And yes, I replied, "I'll tell you all about it. He doesn't think it's wrong, but he says that here, where we're in such close quarters, it could lead to conflicts. We've already agreed not to quarrel, and I plan to keep my promise." Me too, Peter. But father didn't think we were serious. He thought we were just friends. Do you think we still can't be? Yes, I do. How about you? Me too. I also told father that I trust you. I do trust you, Peter, just as much as I do father. And I think you're worthy of my trust. You are, aren't you? I hope so. I believe in you, Peter. I continued. I believe you have a good character and that you'll get ahead in this world. After that, we talked about other things. Later, I said, "If we ever get out of here, I know you won't give me another thought." He got all fired up. That's not true, Anne. Oh no, I won't let you even think that about me. Just then, somebody called us. Father did talk to him. He told me Monday, "Your father thought our friendship might turn into love," he said. But I told him we'd keep ourselves under control. Father wants me to stop going upstairs so often, but I don't want to. Not just because I like being with Peter, but because I've said I trust him. I do trust him, and I want to prove it to him. But I'll never be able to if I stay downstairs out of distrust. No, I'm going. In the meantime, the Dussel drama has been resolved. Saturday evening at dinner, he apologized in beautiful Dutch. Mr. Van Dan was immediately reconciled. Dussel must have spent all day practicing speech. Sunday, his birthday, passed without incident. We gave him a bottle of good wine from 1919. The Vandans presented him with a jar of piccalilli and a package of razor blades, and Mr. Kugler gave him a jar of lemon syrup, meepo, little Martin, and beb and plant. He treated everyone to an egg. Yours and Frank. Wednesday, May 3, 1944. Dearest Kitty, first the weekly news. We are having a vacation from politics. There's nothing. And I mean absolutely nothing to report. I'm also gradually starting to believe that the invasion will come. After all, they can't let the Russians do all the dirty work. Actually, the Russians aren't doing anything at the moment either. Mr. Clayman comes to the office every morning now. He got a new set of springs for Peter's divan, so Peter will have to get to work reupholstering it. Not surprisingly, he isn't at all in the mood. Mr. Clayman also brought some flea powder for the cats. If I told you that our Bosch has disappeared, we haven't seen hide nor hair of her since last Thursday. She's probably already in cat heaven, while some animal lover has turned her into the tasty dish. Perhaps some girl who can afford it will be wearing a cap made of Bosch fur. Peter is heartbroken. For the last two weeks, we've been eating lunch at eleven thirty on Saturdays. In the mornings, we have to make do with a cup of hot cereal. Starting tomorrow, it will be like this every day. That saves us a meal. Vegetables are still very hard to come by. This afternoon, we had rotten boiled lettuce, ordinary lettuce, spinach, and boiled lettuce. That's all there is. Add to that rotten potatoes, and you have a meal fit for a king. I hadn't had my period for more than two months, but it finally started last Sunday. Despite the mess and bother, I'm glad it hasn't deserted me. As you can no doubt imagine, we often say in despair, "What's the point of the war? Why? Oh, why can't people live together peacefully? Why all this destruction?" The question is understandable, but up to now, no one has come up with a satisfactory answer. 
Why is England manufacturing bigger and better airplanes and bombs, and at the same time churning out new houses for reconstruction? Why are millions spent on the war each day, while not a penny is available for medical science, artists, or the poor? Why do people have to starve when mountains of food are rotting away in other parts of the world? Oh, why are people so crazy? I don't believe the war is simply the work of politicians and capitalists. Oh no, the common man is every bit as guilty. Otherwise, people and nations would have rebelled long ago. There's a destructive urge in people: the urge to rage, murder, and kill. And until all of humanity, without exception, undergoes a metamorphosis, wars will continue to be waged, and everything that has been carefully built up. Cultivated and grown will be cut down and destroyed, only to start all over again. I've often been down in the dumps, but never desperate. I look upon our life in hiding as an interesting adventure, full of danger and romance, and every privation as an amusing addition to my diary. I've made up my mind to lead a different life from other girls, and not to become an ordinary housewife later on. What I'm experiencing here is a good beginning to an interesting life. And that's the reason, the only reason, why I have to laugh at the humorous side of the most dangerous moments. I'm young and have many hidden qualities. I'm young and strong and living through a big adventure. I'm right in the middle of it and can't spend all day complaining because it's impossible to have any fun. I'm blessed with many things: happiness, a cheerful disposition, and strength. Every day I feel myself maturing. I feel liberation drawing near. I feel the beauty of nature and the goodness of people around me. Every day I think, what a fascinating and amusing adventure there is. With all that, why should I despair? Yours and Frank. Friday, May fifth, nineteen forty-four. Dear Kitty, Father's unhappy with me. After our talk on Sunday, he thought I'd stop going upstairs every evening. He won't have any of that necking going on. I can't stand that word. Talking about it was bad enough. Why does he have to make me feel bad too? I'll have a word with him today. Margaret gave me some good advice. He is more or less what I'd like to say. I think you expect an explanation from me, Father. So I'll give you one. You're disappointed in me. You expected more restraint from me. You no doubt want me to act the way a fourteen-year-old is supposed to, but that's where you're wrong. Since we've been here, from July nineteen forty-two until a few weeks ago. I haven't had an easy time. If only you knew how much I used to cry at night, how unhappy and despondent I was, how lonely I felt, you'd understand my wanting to go upstairs. I've now reached a point where I don't need the support of mother or anyone else. It didn't happen overnight. I've struggled long and hard and shed many tears to become as independent as I am now. You can laugh and refuse to believe me, but I don't care. I know I'm an independent person. And I don't feel I need to account to you for my actions. I'm only telling you this because I don't want you to think I'm doing things behind your back. But there's only one person I'm accountable to, and that's me. When I was having problems, everyone, and that includes you, closed their eyes and ears and didn't help me. On the contrary, all I ever got were admonitions not to be so noisy. I was noisy only to keep myself from being miserable all the time. I was overconfident to keep from having to listen to the voice inside me. I've been putting on an act for the last year and a half, day in day out. I've never complained or dropped my mask. Nothing of the kind. And now, now the battle is over. I've won. I'm independent in both body and mind. 
I don't need a mother anymore, and I've emerged from the struggle a stronger person. Now that it's over, now that I know the battle has been won, I want to go my own way to follow the path that seems right to me. Don't think of me as a fourteen-year-old, since all these troubles have made me older. I won't regret my actions. I'll behave the way I think I should. Gentle persuasion won't keep me from going upstairs. You either have to forbid it or trust me through thick and thin. Whatever you do, just leave me alone. Yours and Frank. Saturday, May sixth, nineteen forty-four. Dearest Kitty, last night before dinner, I tucked the letter I'd written into Father's pocket. According to Margaret, he read it and was upset for the rest of the evening. Poor him. I might have known what the effect of such an epistle would be. He's so sensitive. I immediately told Peter not to ask any questions or say anything more. Pym said nothing else to me about the matter. Is he going to? Everything here is more or less back to normal. We can hardly believe what Jan, Mister Kugler, and Mister Clayman tell us about the prices and the people on the outside. Half a pound of tea costs three hundred and fifty guilders. Half a pound of coffee, eighty guilders. A pound of butter, thirty-five guilders. One egg, one point four five guilders. People are paying fourteen guilders an ounce for Bulgarian tobacco. Everyone's trading on the black market. Every errand boy has something to offer. The delivery boy from the bakery has supplied us with darning thread, ninety cents for one measly skein. The milkman can get hold of ration books. An undertaker delivers cheese. Break-ins, murders, and thefts are daily occurrences. Even the police and night watchmen are getting in on the act. Everyone wants to put food in their stomachs, and since salaries have been frozen, people have had to resort to swindling. The police have their hands full trying to track down the many girls of fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, and older who are reported missing every day. I want to try to finish my story about Ellen, the fairy, just for fun. I can give it to Father on his birthday, together with all the copyrights. See you later, yours and Frank.